Happy Labor Day weekend. Good to, uh, good to be here. I guess that means you're not on holiday, so happy holiday. You're here with us. Uh, as you can see on the screen there, there's the invitation uh, on, on behalf of Joel's family uh, for the funeral service of his father who passed away last Sunday. Uh, the funeral will be this coming Wednesday at 9.30 at Pinaroo Memorial Park, uh, which is off there, off Whitford's Avenue. Uh, uh, and so it'll be an outdoor funeral right there at the gravesite. So if you're able to come, that'd be awesome uh, to have you come and to join with the family. Uh, we have been praying a lot for the family, and it's great to have them here today as well. Uh, so definitely encourage you to continue to pray for them, and if you're able to join, that would be great as well. So all that, that's also on Facebook because uh, it is kind of small print there. Also small print. That tests my eyes. <laughs> that's a little bit of that one. Uh, the family fun day, we've announced this a few times, but sadly we failed to book the park. Which when you plan an event, that normally should be first step. Uh, and so we thought we had, but we didn't. Uh, and so we've actually had to shift the date on that, uh, as you can see there, to the 15th of April. Uh, that'll just be down there. Uh, Pam and Michelle working hard on it. We got Bouncy Castle, lots of fun stuff. Uh, we're going to let her drop the neighborhood, um, but uh, definitely be encouraging uh, and inviting your friends to come to that. And that'll be a, a great time together with the church and a great way to reach out to the community as well. Amen. Also want to welcome, I think there's two young men from Brisbane here, Tim and Nathaniel. Good to have you guys here today. You have to fellowship with them now if you haven't fellowship with them yet. So that's kind of the pressure of getting announced, right? Uh, and then also, if you're a uh, small group leader, you want to be involved in leading, uh, we will have a brief meeting just downstairs in the kids' room uh, about 30 minutes after service. So you can have some fellowship, and then we'll, uh, we'll meet down there. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Well, let's keep looking here at our series. Uh, we're talking about the seven signs there in the Gospel of John. Uh, and if you've got your Bible, go ahead and jump over to John 4, which Sam and Bianca read the first half of. Good thing not the second half. <laughs> Uh, and so we'll read here, John 4, verses 43 to 54. Let's read together. John writes, says, after, after the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that the boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had, Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. It's a great story here, a famous one. Uh, let's have a prayer and then we'll dig into it together. Let's pray. 
Father, we, uh, you know, we thank you that we can be together. Uh, we thank you for John's gospel and you know, these signs that, that challenge us uh, to, to see you clear, to honor you in a way that you should be honored, God. And we pray that you be with us as we look at this text. God, help our faith to grow. Help our understanding of your power and your glory and your majesty, God, to, to be increased in our hearts and help that to be translated into our lives through faith. Again, we, help, we ask you to help us in this process. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, it is a great story, uh, and it does even carry off a little bit of what we looked at in the communion, and we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later. later. Uh, but if you weren't with us last week, this series we're doing, looking at the signs, uh, if, you, if you jump to the end of the gospel, or if you just read it there on, on the screen, uh, we're, we're kind of following John's mission statement of the gospel. Right? It says there at the end of the gospel that Jesus did all these signs in the presence of disciples, uh, even more that are even recorded in the book, but they're written for a purpose. And the purpose of those signs is that so we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, because if we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, then we have life. All right? And we talked about this idea of the, the signs are not merely things to look at in and of themselves. You have to look beyond them. You have to look at what they are pointing at. Right? We are uh, an ADHD culture. We tend to have very short attention spans. And we can look at just one thing and then move on to the next thing. But the signs are things that are meant to be contemplated, but then moved beyond intentionally to see what they are pointing at. But so often we confuse signposts with the destination. Right? And when it comes to healings... As you read in the New Testament, mankind is notorious for misunderstanding the purposes of why Jesus often healed. All right? One of the things that's interesting, even in the Gospel of John, we see this at various times. You know, Jesus at times will, will enter you know, an area where there are lots of sick people and only heal one. Like that right there should cause us to pause and to think. Is it really about the healing or is it about something more? Right. And here in our story, he does heal uh, a young man's child, but it's not purely about that. It's about something bigger. And with this story, it's about faith. And it's about our faith growing. Even right before the mission statement at the very end of the gospel, you have Thomas and good old Thomas the doubter. And he was struggling, but he eventually did believe as he saw the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus' response to him was, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, and I think when we think about this story here and about this second sign, that's kind of the point of what John is driving at. That we can't just have that surface level faith, that it actually has to flourish into something greater. All right? And we'll unpack this and see this. But this idea that even our faith should grow really should not be that difficult for us to grasp. Everything in life grows. Everything in life is required to grow. Our knowledge, our understanding, even ourselves. Growth is something that is embedded into the creative order and that holds true for our spiritual lives as well. All right? And learning to, to have our faith grow uh, in a way that brings God honor is very, very important. And so we'll look at these two. We'll just look at two points because it is a three-day weekend. Amen? Not that I would go long, right? Maybe. All right? <laughs> Faith to faith. And so we'll look at those in two points, little faith and then on to big faith, right? Let's start with the little faith. You know, it's an interesting thing here. Uh, you know, 
verses 43 there into uh, uh, verse 45, you know, is a, you know, in the Gospel of John, they're, they're, they're scattered throughout. Uh, they're called a seam. It's like little bits of uh, editorial commentary that are meant to shine light on the purpose theologically of the passage. And for our story here about this royal official son, we're, we get this as a preface to it. Jesus pointing out that, no, that a prophet has no honor in his own country. All right. Now, there's lots of debate about this, but essentially what he's talking about here is, you know, he arrives in Galilee. And how do the Galileans, uh, you know, respond to him? They welcome him. But there's a sense that even as they're welcoming him and welcoming him home, they'd heard about what he did in Jerusalem. It's not that Jesus was unhappy with where their faith was at. Right? We see this even clearer in the story, this idea that they don't give honor on the scale they should give honor. Right? When you think about that word honor, it's, again, this idea of understanding what something is worth or what someone is worth, the value that that has. Right? How much esteem do we show, show to them? How much reverence do we have for them? Again, these people welcome Jesus. They're excited to have him here. They've heard about the signs that he performed in Jerusalem, that he had done in Cana previously. They're excited to have him near them. But as we see here, Jesus isn't exactly happy with them. You know, this guy comes and seeks Jesus from afar, having traveled the whole day. And he comes and he lays his request. The text says he's begging Jesus to come and heal his son. We'll talk about that in more depth in a second. But Jesus responds to the man's begging with a rebuke to the crowd. Now the guy is included in the crowd, but it's a, you know, Jesus' response in plural, it was plural when the, the, the request that was made to him was from an individual. And so we see here that one of the points that Jesus is trying to help even this guy himself go through is moving through this stage of faith, growing in his faith. And the rebuke is one that's pretty stinging, especially when we consider what our series is. Because what's our series? Seven signs. And what's Jesus, you know, having to go with this guy about? You guys need signs. And this is a, there's this, this tension that runs throughout the Gospel of John where they demand signs and Jesus says, well, I'm not going to give you signs. But if I am going to give you something, I'm going to give you this sign, right? And it's kind of this tension, but it's, I think it's God trying to show his displeasure with our sign-seeking nature. That we distort faith, and we distort what real biblical faith is, and make it into something that God doesn't want to be. And here Jesus is pushing this man and the crowd to grow in their faith. And his rebuke is, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Now, when you begin to think of the details of this story and even of this scenario, this becomes kind of challenging. You know, I think most of us in this room, if Jesus was walking around in the flesh and we heard that he was in Western Australia, because that's where he would go, right? It's paradise. <laughs> it's kind of no brainer. Brisbane, you guys get it. That's why you're here. Right? You, you get the concept. You actually fulfill the illustration that you complain about being given, right? Uh, you, know, and, and, you know, but if he was here, we would welcome him. We would want him to come and have dinner, spend time. We would be all about that, right? And many of us are also like this guy, right? Not just like the, the, the people of Galilee in that, that we seek him. Now, I don't know if we seek on this guy's scale, right? You know, this guy travels somewhere between 28 and 30 kilometers on foot. Anyone do that today? 28 to 30 kilometers on foot. 
No, we have public transport, we have cars, but most of us complain about driving more than 30 minutes. Right? Now, if you live in Sydney, Melbourne, or Brisbane, you're accustomed to those kind of commute times because it's not paradise like Perth, right? You know, but, but for us here in paradise, it sometimes is hard, right? You think, oh man, more than 30 minutes, that's really far, I'm not going to do that. It's not worth it. I don't have that level of honor or respect for that person. You know, and I think, man, well, we would, we would treat Jesus, we actually probably would travel. But even then, Jesus is saying, hey, you're not where you need to be. That's not an acceptable level of faith. And I think this guy's story resonates not just because he's, you know, he's willing to travel. He's willing to seek just as you are. You're here on the long weekend. You didn't go away to holiday. You didn't fly to Broome. Uh, you know, you're here. You're seeking. That's awesome. Right? But even then, it's not enough. And even for this guy, right, he calls out to Jesus. He pursues Jesus for one of the reasons that many people do. A sick relative. And not just a sick relative, a sick child. You know, there are a lot of things in life that are very difficult and a lot of suffering that happens. And life is without a doubt hard. But a child near death is probably one of the worst. Some of you in, your, in this room have, have experienced that. And you know the inner anguish of that feeling. And that's where this guy is at. But Jesus does not want him to remain in a place that he calls out to God only when life is hard. Again, it's a starting point, and it's a starting point for many of us. But it is not the end destination for where our faith is. You know, last year, me and Andrew Chambers, we studied the Bible with one of his friends whose uh, you know, little baby uh, boy uh, had, had heart problems and needed open-heart surgery. Uh, you know, and when that child was in the hospital, uh, me and Andrew were going almost every other day and studying the Bible uh, with him and praying with him. As soon as the child was out of hospital, I've never heard from him again. And that's a common phenomenon. And a lot of times our relationship with God ebbs and flows in the same way. Maybe not as extreme. But when something goes wrong, we're crying out to God. We're, we're praying fervently. We're, we're, we're the persistent widow of all the parables, right? We're, we're, we're really pursuing him. But as soon as things are better, we just kind of drop them. And, and that tells us something about how much honor we actually have for God. And it tells us something about really what is the root of that relationship. And I think that's what we often can be tempted to do it. But man, it's just, it's making God a little genie. When you need something, let me rub that bottle and get what I need. But as soon as that need is fulfilled, or as soon as that issue is resolved, the eeriness is gone. The need to call out, the need to cry out, the need to seek, it's no longer necessary. We've got to think, if our faith is there, that's not where Jesus wants it to remain. You know, how do we get there? How do we get these elements of this greater faith that Jesus wants from us? Amen? You know, first and foremost is a made-up word. And it's a new made-up word, not by me. It's called anti-fragility. Right? And it's, not a, it's, it's a new word, but it's not a new concept. Right, uh, Our world has become one of uh, uh, great fragility, but there's a sense that there needs to be anti-fragility. There needs to be stress in order for something to grow. Now, 
when we talk about this concept, you're going to begin to see how this pops up throughout the Gospels. But imagine if you're this guy. But imagine if you traveled to church today, 30 kilometers on foot, and you come and you're begging for something. And the response is a rebuke. Unless you see signs, you'll never believe. I, mean, I don't know about you. Maybe you're a lot more humble than me. The defensiveness would arise in my heart. What do you mean? I How can you say I don't believe? I flat traveled here on foot. I came all this way. I'm down on my knees. I mean, the text literally says the guy is begging Jesus. And yet Jesus rebukes. He pushes him back. I mean, Sam and, and, and Bianca read the previous story, right? And you get this woman at the well having this theological discussion that obviously has different layers to it. And then Jesus just smack dab in the middle of it tells her, hey, go call your husband. Does she crumble? Gosh, Jesus, that was, that was pretty direct. <laughs> I'm going to go talk to someone about that. That's not how she responds. She pushes back. She continues to wrestle. I mean, later on, one of my favorite stories in the gospel is, you know, Jesus essentially calls a woman a dog. And her response is, well, even the dogs eat the crumbs. I mean, you see this time and time again in the gospels. Where it seems like people are pursuing God. And as they come closer to God, he like punches them. You know, it's like, you know, I mean, the most famous one with discipleship. Thousands of people following Jesus in Mark's gospel. He's just fed 4,000 people. He's just healed a blind man. I mean, there's a crowd of thousands following to him. And he turns to them and says, hey, you, you want to follow me? You need to die. You need to sacrifice your life and follow me. I mean, you think, man, it, I don't know. I'm not, I, I studied marketing in uni. That does not seem like smart marketing approach. I mean, gosh, they're following you already. And you turn around and slap them with that? I mean, I studied a Bible with someone this week who you can see his face drop when he realizes that's what Jesus says to people who are thinking about following him. I mean, it's confronting. But I think it's purposeful. Right? I think Jesus, you know, he was into anti-fragility before it was ever even a thing. You know, anti-fragility, this guy Nassim Taleb who writes about it, he says, look, complex systems are weakened or even killed when deprived of stress. Think about that. Complex systems are actually weakened if you remove stress. I mean, how many of us would actually like our lives to have less stress? How many of us would love it if, hey, our spiritual life, no more temptations, no more trials, just smooth sailing, paradise here in paradise, right? I mean, we would love it. But would that actually be good for us? Probably not. Because what would happen to our faith? Would it actually grow stronger or would it just become softer? I mean, you see this even with Elon Musk as he tries to figure out how to send people to Mars. Right? One of the problems they have is you can never come back. And it's not simply because of the distance, but the time spent in, in, in space without gravity, your body actually deteriorates. Because your body needs the stress of gravity day in, day out to maintain bone density and muscle mass. And if you remove that entirely, you become basically like a little ball of jelly, right? Unable to do anything because you've had life without the stress of gravity. But again, so often we long for that stressless life, 
But it's like we got to really actually step back and think about, hey, what am I longing for? What am I wanting? How wrong is my perspective? You know, an anti-fragility is not merely about resilience or robustness. It's actually about growing in the midst of hardship. You guys into Greek mythology? No? You might be here in a second, maybe. I don't know. You guys know who this is? Michelle does, because I had this discussion earlier. Who is it, Michelle? The sword of, I don't know how you say it. Yeah, we'll go with Dam- Damocles, Dimocles, right? Uh, it's an interesting story. Dionysus, who's the king, tells this guy, hey, you can be king for a day. But just to help the guy have proper perspective, he hangs the sword, I believe, by horse's hair right above his head. So it's not an accurate photo, right? Near his hand. It's actually above his head. And the purpose of Dionysus doing that is he wants him to have the fear and the anxiety he should always have being king. All right. So think about this, right? What is Greek mythology showing us here? That's the fragile perspective. Go through life always petrified and full of anxiety about the hardships that can come your way inevitably. Live life that way. Now, yes, there is some wisdom in that, but there's a sense of victimhood that ends up filling our hearts and minds when we see the world this way. Right? Now, we're not even talking about this Greek mythology. Ooh, you love the flames? <laughs> What's that one? Phoenix. The phoenix rising from the ashes. Okay. Now, if you've not read Greek mythology and you just think about the X-Men, you're going to have a hard time with this concept because the X-Men kind of twisted a little bit. Right? The true Greek mythology is that of simply reincarnation. Right? X-Men kind of make it like it's an upgrade when it happens. All right? What's her name? The X-Woman. How could they misgender her like that, right? Jean or whatever. She goes from being, you know, weak or something to arising like the most powerful of, you know, X-Men, right? That's not what it originally is, okay? Originally, it's just this, you know, just cyclical. It's the same thing every time coming back to life, being reborn. And it's a great example of maybe resilience or endurance or, or persistence, Right? But it's not even what we're talking about here when we talk about anti-fragility. Right? Who's this? Hail Hydra. Right? You guys, you guys didn't watch the Avengers. Right? Come on, guys. Watch, watch more movies, please. You're on, not away on a holiday. What are you doing this holiday weekend? You know, tomorrow, watch all of the Avenger. No, no, no. Don't waste your life doing that, right? Uh, you know, but, but, you know, Hydra and even the line from, from the, the Avengers movie is if you cut off one head of Hydra, what happens? Two more grow. Put it through adversity. What happens? It becomes more powerful. It becomes stronger. Now, now that's what the Bible is talking about when, when we see people interact with Jesus this way. But this is often how God operates. Yeah, you have a little bit of faith. You begin to seek him. You begin to pursue him. And he makes life challenging for you. Why? Because he wants you to be like Hydra. He wants to cut off one of your heads and have two heads grow. Then you'd be twice as smart. How great would that be? It doesn't really work like that. But you know what I mean? I mean, this is, this is throughout scriptures. That's why James will say, hey, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Well, you know what that will do to your faith. 
you know that's actually the only way you grow as a Christian. And yet tragically, and I've said this many, many times, and I'm sure I'll say it many, many times more. Tragically, if you're a disciple for a while, you see this cycle go very badly. People become Christians. God allows troubles, persecutions, hardships to come. And as that trial comes, they quit. And they get discouraged. And they walk away. And they leave in the very moment where actually growth was about to happen. That a great surge forward was about to take place. Where they were actually getting into the realm of, hey, this is how God works. This is how God matures our character. This is how God refines our faith. But the problem is we're such a fragile people these days. We're just constantly fearful of, of hard things that, that may, may potentially come. That's not the mentality we need to have as Christians. That's not the mentality we see from this guy. You know, even this phoenix, it's, yes, it's a great picture of rebirth, but it, it's not growth. I mean, my goodness, if you're rising from the ashes, why do you keep getting killed? I mean, isn't that the definition of insanity? Keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result? Why doesn't the phoenix come with two heads or four wings or more power? I don't know. The X-Men, maybe that's why they changed it. You know, but, but man, we've got to grow. And you see this from this guy. Jesus pushes him back, and he just pushes right back in. Jesus, in some sense, nudges him backwards, and he, no, no, come on. I'm not leaving. I'm being persistent. But if you're at midweek, Jono tried to mock me. That's motivation for coming to midweek, okay? You can hear Sam get made fun of, right? You know, and, you know, I've been dwelling on it, as you do, right? <laughs> and Jono, unfortunately, is out with the preteens, but the rest of you are going to hear the positive spin, right? Jono made fun of me because we went and had a meal with him and Pam. Uh, got to taste the menu before their wedding, whenever that was, a year ago. Uh, it was awesome. There was lots of great food, but it wasn't enough bread rolls, and you got, you know, those who love carbs, you're with me, right? I mean, come on. A steak is great, but what am I supposed to do with the sauce? You know, I'm just going to leave it. I mean, Michelle gets mad when I lick the plate. So, I mean, what, what other option do I have than having bread rolls? And I asked everyone, and no one had bread rolls, or so they said, except for finally the guy who John and I had studied the Bible with earlier in the year who quit studying when things got hard, you know. Uh, and so he never became a Christian, which is a side point that reinforces our current point in the middle of an illustration, right? You know, but eventually I pressured that guy, and he went, lo and behold, miraculously multiplied loaves in the kitchen that apparently weren't in existence before that moment. And then I got a bread roll. Right? But I was like Hydra, man. Everyone that pushed me back, it just made me more stubborn, more resolved. There are surely bread rolls somewhere in that kitchen, and there was right. Right? How about us, though? How about you in your discipleship? If that was the answer you got from God, would you have quit? If you're pursuing God and then it doesn't work out, he doesn't actually even answer the question you have. It doesn't grant your persistent prayer. Do you just quit? You just get discouraged. Or you ask someone for input or direction in life and they give you a very difficult task. And they, didn't, then they don't just give you a difficult task. Then they show you scriptures that back up the difficulty of the task. And then you're like, oh man, I'm doubly discouraged. 
And do you quit? And do you wilt? Or do you push through and grow? For this guy, he had that anti-fragile mindset, and that's why his faith grew. Secondly, what do we see from this guy? As his faith grows, as he practiced blind obedience. I mean, if you're a parent and you put yourself in this guy's sandals, that's a hard ask. Again, you beg the guy and he kind of, you know, rebukes the crowd and rebukes you. You, you beg more and his response is, go, your child will live. I mean, I'm like, well, what's my kid's name? I mean, it's 30 kilometers away. How do you know you're healing the right one? There might be other sick kids there. Like, do you need a picture of them? Let me just get a tablet out and like chisel one in. Or I don't know. You know, I mean, I think there's lots of valid questions to ask. There's lots of valid concerns. And yet this guy just takes them at his word and walks away. That's, that's hard. I mean, think about your obedience. How much easier it would be if you knew the end result before you did it. Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, imagine that. Imagine going out sharing your faith and above everyone's head was either a green check mark or a red X. How much, how much easier would it be to share? How much more obedient would you be if you knew, hey, here's how I go and make disciples. I talk to you. I don't talk to you. I mean, it would be a lot easier. We'd probably be a lot more obedient. And that tells us something about our faith. I mean, speaking the truth and love to one another, I mean, how much easier would it be if you think, okay, that person's going to respond great, so I'll do it. If you knew ahead of time, yeah, they're going to they're respond well. It's going to be that life-giving rebuke that they desperately need. Yeah, why wouldn't I say it? Versus, oh, they're not going to respond well. They're not going to take it to heart. They're actually going to counterattack me. I mean, so often our obedience hinges on the result. But so much of what Jesus tells us to do has nothing to do with the results. He's not actually concerned with the results. That, that, you know, in terms of for us, you know, that's his concern. But our concern is merely obedience. I mean, how would your giving changed if we came up with an app and every time you gave, you could instantly see your treasure in heaven grow? A lot of you would actually start giving. Many of you would give more. Because again, your obedience is hinged to the direct proof and backup of it. But we're not in this take Jesus at his word place, which is where we need to be. And where we need to get to. How many of us would have turned and walked away? Now look, God is not a monster. That's good news, isn't it? He's not a monster. I mean, this guy takes Jesus at his word and begins the journey home. And what does Jesus do? He arranges a servant to meet him halfway and to tell him, your son's going to live. And that's often how it works, isn't it? What we do, we, we do that step of faith. We step out in blind obedience and it's scary as can be. And then God meets us halfway. And with time, that the confirmation of the rightness of the decision just grows and flourishes. But it's so hard in that moment. 
to, to just, man, just obey. You know, I remember this as a, as a young Christian. When I first got baptized, uh, I had this girl I'd been dating on and off for a while. Uh, I thought I loved her, cared a lot about her, you know, studied the Bible and realized, man, my life is a mess. Her life is also a mess. This is not going to work together because two messes don't, don't, don't clean themselves up. They actually make themselves worse. You know, but I remember being so scared of breaking that off. I remember thinking, man, God, guarantee me she's going to become a disciple. I remember praying those type of prayers. In hindsight, man, I'm I'm glad that God did not answer that prayer. Because Michelle is way better and way more what I needed. But you know what I mean? Like so often we would only obey if we know, hey, that's going to work out. Will we obey simply because that's Jesus saying we should? If we don't, we have an honor problem. We have too much contempt towards Jesus because we have too much trusting in ourselves and our own perspective. You know, Jesus pushes this guy, he responds, he commands him, and he goes. And look what happens. You know, his faith grows to a point where obviously it affects his son. But not just his son, what do we see? He and his whole household believe. I mean, what, what if? I mean, we often weigh the cost of obedience. What about the cost of disobedience? What if he didn't go? What if he didn't take Jesus at his word? What if he got discouraged like a little snowflake and went and tried to find the best Pharisee healer he could find? No, it doesn't happen then. The sun doesn't get better. The household does not become believers in Jesus. And death wins around him. Time and time again, the Gospel of John puts before us death and life. Death and life. They go hand in hand in this world, guys. And time and time again, we're pushed to see that only through faith in Jesus will you find life. And it's not just life here and now. It's, it's life eternal. It's life beyond life. It's that water that, 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 that cures your thirst so that you never thirst again. But it's the same pattern of the, the woman at the well. I mean, what if? What if she got offended because Jesus confronted her sin? Go call your husband. I mean, she leaves that interaction and tells her whole town who then come and see Jesus and become believers in Jesus. I mean, what if? What if she just got offended? Then the impact, the fruit, it would not have come. My appeal is, man, we've got to grow in our faith. We can't be satisfied of where our faith is. We need to push ourselves to grow. Now brace yourself because that pattern of growth is through obstacles. It's through hardships. It's through challenges. It's not easy. But be like Hydra. Don't be a victim. Don't be a snowflake. Don't just be recycling the same thing over and over and over. As you go through hardships, grow closer to God. And as you do that, you are changed. Not your circumstances. Our world around us tells you, you know how you deal with problems? Change the circumstances. Control what everyone else says so you never get offended. 
That's not the path to growth. That's not the path to maturity. That's not how we're changed. The solution is not changing everything else. It's changing us. And specifically, our faith. Let's be a people like this royal official. Let's be anti-fragile. Let's practice blind obedience. And let's see the fruit of that faith impacting the world around us. Amen? Let's have a prayer and then we'll stand together and sing one final song. Let's pray. You know, Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for this guy. We, we thank you for the, you know, the mentality he had, God. You know, in a twisted way, we thank you that his son got sick. That hardships and stressors came into his life, God. We thank you that your son, you know, knew to, to, to rebuke him. So that we could see the gold that was there behind the scenes. Father, we pray you help us in this pursuit, God. Help us to be a people who when times of drought and hardship comes, we just plunge our roots deeper and deeper into you. God, we pray you help us with our pride. Help us to not just be a people who welcome you, who give you lip service, but help us to be an obedient people. Not those that just say, Lord, Lord, but those who do what you say. God, we pray you help us, God, in those times where we want, to, we want to, to see and then believe, God, that you help us to just have the humility to just obey, to take you at your word, to do what's right no matter what the cost, no matter what the outcome, no matter what the result. And Father, we, we pray that as we walk that way, God, that we can bear much fruit. And we know, Father, that that kind of fruit is fruit that lasts. Fruit that stands the test of time. Fruit that ultimately brings you glory and honor, God. And we need your help on this, in this process, God. We need your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness, God. We pray you pour it out on, on us generously, God. And help us, God, to impact the world around us for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Also, let's all stand together and sing.